0: Hello, hello, it's Britt, the petite polymath. I've had every intention of doing an episode um, in the last few weeks, but it's just gotten away from me. And I've read uh, not one, not two, but <laughs> three books that I feel are very important. Um, we'll just kind of see how I feel as to whether I talk about all three of them intimately or maybe just cursorily discuss two and talk about one with more depth, because it's my show, right? Hello. So it is um, almost the end of April, and I am going to talk today about the book *Erasure* by Percival Everett. It's a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, written in 2001, and I just got to it in the last like month or so. Um, this is the third book that I have finished in the last few weeks. I actually started off like with reading a book um, that's nonfiction by Laurel Braitman called "What Looks Like Bravery, which is a memoir of how she kind of uh, discusses um, living with the loss of her father um, from cancer. Um, and it's incredibly compelling, and I want to give it its due. so I'll talk about it another episode. But uh, she also is a very friendly person from what I can ascertain. Um, we follow. Well, I follow her on social media, and she does a writing program with Stanford for medical professionals, which I plan to sign up for. And she also was a part of this thing called Pop Up Magazine, um, and this is a segue to my talking about Erasure because one of the other contributors to Pop Up Magazine is my crush Cord Jefferson, who I'll probably never meet who um, is adapting Erasure to a screenplay for a film, which should be coming out, I don't know, maybe in the next year or so, uh, with a lot of familiar faces, Uh, Issa Rae, um, Sterling, um, Kay Brown, to name a couple. Uh, And so we're gonna table that a little bit because the second book that I finished is a, a, a novel written by a very dear friend of mine, Catherine Lacey, uh, we go way back to Mississippi um, and childhood, and she wrote the autobiography of X, which is a, a contrivance, because X is not a real person. Um, so it's a, a, a mock autobiography of a fictional character um, who uh, is living in a, almost like a, a dystopian um, United States, uh, that has been divided into three regions um, and is an artist in many mediums and uh, has reinvented herself multiple times, which that that concept of reinvention is particularly important uh, in her book, but it's tethered also to Erasure. So to get back to Erasure, uh, the protagonist is a a young black man, at least I perceive him as young, but he could like, maybe he's like late thirties, early forties, max, I'd say. Um, he's a professor, he's a writer. He grew up in a upper class black family, um, the the son of a doctor and a, you know, stay at home, um, you know, very kind of society mother. He is the baby with two siblings, the older two siblings, a sister and a brother, are both physicians, um, but it is, it is you know kind of implied that he's the favorite of the father, who's also a doctor, despite the fact that he doesn't take you know, on the family business, so to speak. Um, but he's very different from his siblings. So his brother Bill, um, you find out, it's not really spoiling anything, is a closeted gay man, married with a family um, this is something that that comes up later and, and, of course, closeted, but everyone kind of knows. And I think that the parents knowing uh, creates some tension, um, particularly between Bill and his father, since he's also the oldest boy. And then the sister Lisa, she's kind of one of these do-gooder physicians. She works in uh, family planning and uh, women's health in the inner city of D.C. And then you have Thelonious Ellison who goes by the name Monk. So people who love jazz know that Thelonious Monk, jazz musician. And then Ellison's a great name for this guy since Ralph Ellison, who wrote Invisible Man, um, which, you know, a well-known book in, in literature, specifically black literature. And I think what stands out about this book um, and about the story it tells, it resonates with me in particular um, because Monk doesn't fit the stereotype of what people think a black artist is supposed to be doing. I would venture to say of what a black boy was supposed to be when he was growing up, and then what a black man is supposed to be now that he's an adult. He's incredibly cerebral. Um, he loves like Greek, ancient Greek literature. He's like, well-versed in Latin. Um, He loves, you know, film noir and, and, you know, European um, indie deep cuts of music and film and literature. Uh, He's a classical music fan. Um, He's kind of awkward and nerdy, but, but from what I can ascertain, he's probably attractive. And so I don't think people know what to do with him. And he's also relatively athletic. He has a love of fishing and nature and he's really into woodworking and building things with his hands. And people don't seem to know what to do with this, with this person. They've never known what to do with him and he's always known he stood out uh, in ways that have made him very uncomfortable actually because to black people, they feel like he's, he thinks he's better although he doesn't, he's, he's acutely aware that he's not like doing all the things that like culturally he's expected to do. Um, and then white people, Also don't know what to do with him because they feel that he is um, putting on for them when in fact he's just being himself. And they want a certain sort of blackness from him that he just can't offer up. Uh, So he's written lots of books. He hasn't done well with writing books. And he gets really pissed off about this. Because in the midst of all this, and he's a struggling, you know, university professor um, looking for tenure, (laughs) uh, there is this ascending uh, author, a black woman who writes um, in a way that he feels is very exploitive um, and reductive of the black American experience in particular. Um, It is, you know, every stereotype um, that is thrown at black people, like that all black Americans are urban, that all black Americans live below the poverty line, that all black Americans have drug issues and, um, and have multiple you know, sexual partners with children with each sexual partner and there's violence and they, they can't speak in, in, you know, in like your, your kind of socially acceptable English, right? this image that is that she just kind of writes this novel in that gets all this acclaim and he is so frustrated because he sees it as selling out and he sees it as racist that his work is not quote unquote black enough but the worst stereotype of what it means to be black in America gets lauded as the most authentic. Right? There's only one way to be black and it's not the way that Monk is. And so in a fit of just kind of frustration, he writes something that then has a a life of its own. And I will leave that to you to read the book because the book is really great. What I will say is also interesting is that just yesterday I was driving um, to run some errands and I was listening to an interview between Justin Simeon who wrote uh, Dear White People. That was the film and then also was the TV show on Netflix. Uh, in, in conversation with Janixa Bravo, who's a director who did the film Lemon and also the film Zola and is, you know, very close friends with a lot of, of artists right now, um, Natasha Leone and Tessa Thompson and, you know, I could go on and on. I, I follow her on social media and I find her very interesting. Um, and she had the same issue right? As a black woman who grew up in a certain way and who also happens to be Jewish. Um, she was talking to Justin about how people accepted her first film, Lemon, because it was about the neuroses and the psychopathy of white middle to upper middle-class men. Um, and since she doesn't live in that body, uh, people threw a lot of stones at her and said that she couldn't tell that story. Which is fascinating because, you know, some people tell stories about all sorts of people that they don't have a lived experience in and nobody seems to be very angry about that. And it's, it's been going on for hundreds of years. And yet, when a black woman does it, it's a problem. And it's as if she's not being authentic. And what does that mean to be authentic? And why can there only be one lived experience based on what someone's body looks like, right? Whether it's their gender or it's their ethnic makeup, you know, their socioeconomic status. And, uh, and I found that very compelling. Uh, I think it's something that I very much um, understand. Um, You know, I, I don't create art as a job, but I do know what it is like to look some sort of way in the world. And then when I open my mouth or when someone's heard my voice and what I've had to say and hasn't seen me and then they see me, them not knowing, like as if like literally they're shorting in their brain what to do with the two as if they're incongruent and uh and it's a fascinating and also very sad phenomenon that there is no space for people to just be who they are and not fit a mold that other people have made for them That's really what we get down to in erasure. And the ways that you sometimes uh, will compromise yourself to get by because the world wants a certain sort of you. You know, like you need to be sassy. You need to have attitude. You need to dance for me. You need to be good at sports. You need to have rhythm. You need to do all these things to fit the idea of who you are in my mind. And if you don't, then I don't know what to do with you and you make me uncomfortable. That's really what is at the heart of erasure. So I highly, highly recommend this book. I will be talking about the other two books uh, in the not so distant future. Um, so stay tuned. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Um, If I had to say something I've been enjoying, I highly recommend Netflix's, um, uh, what's it called, series called Queen Maker. It is a Korean drama. It's awesome. Check it out if you like Korean dramas. And uh, if you are like those of us in Nashville with this beautiful weather, enjoy the spring. Bye.